This is how good God is. He does not treat us according to our evil. He does not repay us according to our transgressions. He instead sheds his mercy, his grace, and his love on us. If anyone understood just a fraction of what we're trying to explain, they would understand that God is truly a good God and that we are the ones that have wronged him. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. Today we'll be talking about the goodness of God. If we look through the pages of the Bible from cover to cover, we would understand that God is truly good. Many think otherwise because they either ignore the truth or choose to believe Satan's lies and the deceit he has proliferated throughout the world because they love sin. If we see everything that has happened over time, the one that has been treated unfairly all along is God. The truth is simple. God loves you. Today's message is inspired on the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord God, Heavenly Father, blessed Lord, mighty God, a good God, loving Father, I praise you and I worship you, O Lord God, for your goodness, your mercy, for your grace, for the incredible love that you shed upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you, O Lord, for the cross, because we find eternal life and salvation through him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray humbly, O Lord, that you may please forgive my sins, because, Lord, I know that I sin against you every day at every moment. I know that I am not worthy and that we can only be worthy through your Son, Jesus Christ, through your mercy and through your grace. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray now, Lord God, for your guidance. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit may speak to our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord God, for each and every person that's listening and that they might truly be able to understand your side of the story. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be reading today from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. This is the word of the Lord. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight in itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God is truly good. He has always been good since the very beginning. Ever since the Lord God made Adam and Eve, he has been good to man. He created man. He gave man a beautiful and good place to live in, including a purpose. He treated man like a beloved child. He gave man instructions so that nothing bad would happen to man. However, for some reason, mankind at the beginning did not value God's goodness in the Garden of Eden. For some reason, they obeyed the devil manifested in a serpent rather than taking seriously God's loving instruction. What did the devil give man before the fall? Nothing. We don't see anything in the Bible that the serpent gave gifts to man. Man did not owe anything to the serpent. The serpent was not the one that created man. The serpent was not the one that created the Garden of Eden for man. The serpent did not give man a purpose for living. There was no contact or communion with the serpent before the moment of temptation. There was no friendship or relationship cultivated with the serpent prior to the temptation. The serpent just showed up and said a few enticing things and mankind went ahead and obeyed. They believed the serpent. This was all of the interaction recorded between the serpent and mankind prior to the fall, which is read in Genesis. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was it. There was no long convincing speech. This was all it took to convince man to sin against God, to dismiss everything they owed God. This is what we read on. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. This was all it took. All it took was just moments to forget, dismiss, and ruin everything God had done for mankind. And the irony is that God's command was for man's benefit, not for himself. God was not going to die if man ate of the forbidden fruit. God was not going to be damaged in any kind of way. Man would be the affected party. Man's existence was going to change just as the Lord God had told man. So what would make man ultimately turn against God and not trust his instruction? It's a mystery. That's the only way I can explain it because there is no reason. 
God never did anything wrong to man. All God did was to be good to him. All the Lord did was treat man with love, with care, and almost as an equal because he gave man access to everything. He didn't hold anything back from man. Yet, despite man's betrayal, because that is what really happened, God still shed more goodness. When mankind saw themselves naked and in shame, God made skins for man. This is what the Bible says. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Again, this is not for God's benefit, but rather to help man feel covered because the fallen nature, the fallen state, had come into existence and became part of man. This was the first time that an innocent died for the sins of mankind. A sacrifice was made so that God could make skins for men and hide their shame. Some might ask, why didn't God just forgive mankind for their sin? And the answer is because it was not that simple anymore. It wasn't like mankind spilled milk per se. Mankind changed their composition, their existence. This tree of knowledge of good and evil was no ordinary tree. It ultimately generated all the evil we see today. There were no simple consequences that occurred as a result of eating its forbidden fruit. God could not simply reverse that. It's all a matter of natural consequences of what happened. Now, the punishment that God gave did not involve death, only hardship. Let's read what actually happened in Genesis chapter 3. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so the punishment that God gave to the woman involves childbearing and that the husband would rule over her. And because of man's disobedience, God allowed for man's burden for survival to become difficult. Notice that in either instance, God did not command for either the man or the woman to die. Death was something consequential because of their sin, because they ate of the forbidden fruit. It was never God's intention for man to die. God made man so that we could live and so that we could enjoy what he had created for man. We can infer that childbearing was always part of the plan because God himself had said to everything to be fruitful and to multiply, including mankind. And so it was part of his design for humanity to grow and multiply, but in a sinless state, without death. Yet because of the sin of man, that all changed and we have what we have today. If we go back for an instant to the point of temptation, we can see that there were many things that made the forbidden fruit attractive. Of course, when completely dismissing the person of God and not taking into account his deeds for mankind. This is what the serpent said. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what enticed them to eat of the forbidden fruit? They were made to believe that God was hiding something from them, that he was holding out on them. And the desire to be like God was inspired and that included access to all knowledge. 
Man fell in a similar manner as the devil fell so long ago. Man wanted to be like God, just like Satan wanted to be like God. They committed the sin of covetousness. Both Satan and man coveted what God had. They envied God. Satan more than man, obviously, but nonetheless, they both envied God. This is what the Bible says about Satan's or Lucifer's fall in Isaiah chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This was the extent of Satan's covetousness. He ultimately wanted to be like God. Man fell into the same sin, wanting to be like God. Now, what wrong did God do to either Lucifer or to mankind? Nothing. God did absolutely nothing wrong to them. God was good to both. This is the problem that most people have. They generally just want to see some sort of distorted, one-sided view of things, but most people generally never look at God's side of the story and how unfair his creation has been with him. This is the bottom line with sin, that it involves being unfair with God. Sin is treating God unfairly and bringing about self-destruction. Let's think about this for an instant to see how we all continue to fail and be completely unfair with a very good God. If we understand what God has done and continues to do and promises to do, then we would understand that we owe him everything. This is what the Bible explains in Colossians chapter one. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And so every single thing, our existence, and everything around us, basically all things consist in him. Nothing can exist without him. So every living thing lives because he wills it. All of creation, both the physical and spiritual worlds, consist because he wills it. There is not a single thing anywhere that does not depend on the Almighty. If we are living and breathing and thinking and hearing this message at this very instant, it is because God allows it. The Bible says that he makes it rain upon the just and the unjust. And yet many will say, you can't be thinking about God all of the time. There has to be some sort of variety. And I even remember hearing someone say before that they thought that heaven was a very boring place because it consisted of just praising God. If everything we do, are, and have depends on God and his thoughts and actions are continually with every single person at every single moment, then is it not only fair to try to return the same attention and the same level of care? See how that works? Let's flip the script a little bit. And this will probably become more relevant to those of you that are parents. Most couples decide to have a child with the intent to love and care for a little baby. Even before a child is conceived, there are thoughts about names and about all of the things that will be done with this child. There's probably even daydreaming over the notion of having a baby. And then there is a pregnancy and everything revolves around this little person that is on its way. 
Mothers usually try to eat right and exercise and rest is needed for the benefit of the child. Fathers usually become more protective and concerned over the well-being of their wives when they are expecting because they are also thinking about this little person that will soon come into the world. And then the child is born. And from that moment on, most efforts on both parents' sides revolve around the well-being and support for their child. Both work hard to take care of and provide for this child. But then when the child grows up and they begin being drawn by the world that is around them, what starts to happen? Mom and dad are not great anymore. And their son or daughter desire to spend less time with mom and dad and more time with outsiders, with people that have done absolutely nothing for them. And then what would happen if one day this child they fought and cared for so much turns against their parents because of bad influences. If your son or daughter turned against you and all you have done is tried to give them the best you were able to, how would you feel? How would you feel if they went out there and started getting involved with things that would only hurt them and no matter how much you tried to help them and give them advice, they push you away and they tell you that you are wrong and that you are not letting them live their life? How would you feel? How would you feel if for some reason your son or daughter got to the point that they did something so wrong and harmful to themselves that they severely damaged their lives, their future, or worse, ended their lives prematurely? What then? I don't want to even try to think about the sadness and the pain and the agony that something like that may bring about, but I am sure it is probably the worst feeling a person could ever feel being rejected and despised by the person you love the most, and for that person to end their life in the most senseless and painful way anyone could ever do themselves in. Are you starting to see God's side of the story now? Is God bad? Is God harsh? I think not. God is full of goodness, despite all of humanity's sin and rebellion against Him and our lack of appreciation for everything He has done for us, God showed His love to all mankind in a way that is not possible for any of us to do. Even though we were His enemies, obeying our sinful ways, following Satan's desires through the world's temptations, He chose to give us the opportunity for eternal life through Jesus Christ. And this is something very difficult to understand. How can God give His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be saved? How could He love His enemies so much because we were His enemies when we followed the world because the world follows Satan? That He would surrender His most treasured relationship to live a life of hardship, to be tried unfairly, to be tortured, finally to be nailed on a cross, thereby dying for all humanity, shedding the very last drop of blood left in His body, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have the hope of salvation? If you really think about it, it is truly difficult to understand the magnitude of God's love, His incredible goodness. God saw mankind in His fallen state, and instead of destroying everything and starting over, He gave His only begotten Son, that we could all be saved through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gave His Son as a gift, and He did it all by grace. We did not deserve salvation. He did not owe us anything. We can never earn our own salvation. We can never be good enough for our own. We need Him. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And to add to his goodness, this is what he offers all of those that love him, that look to follow him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. This is how good God is. He does not treat us according to our evil. He does not repay us according to our transgressions. He instead sheds his mercy, his grace, and his love on us. If anyone understood just a fraction of what we're trying to explain, they would understand that God is truly a good God and that we are the ones that have wronged him. We are the ones that turned against him. It is our sin that has made our lives difficult and painful. It is our decisions that have caused us harm. Mankind has wronged each other. All God has wanted to do is to save mankind, to help us find salvation. Jesus said this, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. God is good. Have you understood God's love for you? Do you understand what he has done for you? God loves mankind, but more importantly to you and me, that he loves us personally. He loves you. When Jesus was on the cross, you and I came into his thoughts for an instant. He thought of us. He thought of you. If you do not know God yet through the person of Jesus Christ, if his love for you has not become completely clear to you yet, I am here to tell you that he does love you, that he does care about you, that he desires to have a close and personal and intimate relationship with you, not because you deserve it, only out of his goodness because he loves you because he cares for you don't listen to what the world says about him because the world hates him because they love sin and they're following down a path that only leads to death and destruction don't listen to the world that has done nothing for you listen to the God that has done everything for you so many things that you don't even know about that you don't even realize he does not care about the sins you have committed about the wrongs you have done he only cares that for your own good, that you turn away from all your sins, that you repent and convert from them with all of your heart. All sin does is bring destruction and death. That's why he can't stand sin. That's why he wants for you to have 
life, eternal life. He wants to give you immortality through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We are created beings, and like the created beings we are, we were made to serve. Here is the ultimate choice for you, because you are free to choose. You can either choose to continue serving sin and reap death, or you can turn away from sin and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and live forever. I urge you, for your own good, to choose Jesus as the Lord of your life so He can lead you to all the things that God has for those that love Him. There is only life in Christ. Nothing else can save you. I urge you to repent and convert from all of your sins and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I give you thanks because truly you are good. Lord, you have always been good to us ever since the beginning. And you've been good to us in ways that are very difficult to understand because we see the world in a way that is completely different to the way that you see reality. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for creating us. I give you thanks, O oh Lord, for giving us the opportunity of eternal life, of salvation through Jesus Christ. That despite all of our sins, despite our rebellions, despite of all the things we may have done wrong against you, you still shed your love and your grace and your mercy on us. And you tell us to come, to come to you. Heavenly Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that we may be able to understand more your side of things that we may not see the distorted view that Satan has, has put on this world. Heavenly Father, help us to be able to see the truth that all you desire for us is good, even if it's hard for us to understand. I pray, Heavenly Father, for every person that's listening. I pray for those that have not yet come to know this love personally, your presence. I pray, Heavenly Father, they may be able to make that decision to be able to repent and convert from all their sins and to accept Jesus as the Lord of their lives so that they can find eternal life. I pray, Heavenly Father, for their guidance. I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord God, that you may be able to open their hearts, their minds, their understanding, that they may come to have the reality of salvation in their lives through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.